Welcome to After the JAG Corps, Navigating Your Career Progression, a podcast for judge advocates leaving military service. After the JAG Corps assists officers transitioning from the military law practice by learning from individuals who have successfully embarked on new careers, providing insight on rewarding professional opportunities, job search strategies, resumes, the value of your military experience, and more. Now, here is your host, Tom Welsh. On today's podcast, we're talking to Adam Cantor. Adam served in the Navy JAG Corps for about seven years, just over seven years, leaving active duty in 2005. Adam is now a partner at Banker Lopez Gasler in Tampa. Adam, welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me this afternoon. I appreciate it. Well, we appreciate uh, your willingness to take time out of your busy day to impart your wisdom, lessons learned, maybe mistakes made, all those things in transitioning from the active duty JAG Corps to whatever comes after. And in your case, it looks like you're in a pretty good law firm. And I know we were discussing right before we went on the air here that you were working a personal injury case. So what's sort of the scope of your duties there? What do you handle? So uh, I do personal injury defense. Primarily, I do a lot of trucking work. I do premises liability, negligence security, and I have some, some like sexual assault defense cases. And I defend when a company gets sued. My job is to defend them. If a trucking company gets sued, I defend them. If you, Tom, rear end someone on accident and they sue you, I defend you. So I am all in insurance defense. I don't do any of the plaintiff's work. A far cry from what you did on active duty. And if you could give us a quick recap of what you did when you were on active duty. Sure. I did uh, three years in San Diego at the trial service office uh, doing criminal prosecution. I did one, then went over to Naples, Italy, did two years doing criminal defense, traveling all up uh, Europe and Southeast Asia. I spent about two months in Bahrain during that time, during Operation Iraqi Freedom, mostly doing everything, like admin boards to legal assistance, whatever they needed. And then I was planning on actually going to Naval Justice School when a job opened at the Naval Academy and they screened me for that and asked me to go over and teach law at the Leadership Ethics and Law Department. And that's where I did my last few years and I put on Lieutenant Commander while I was there. And then the difficult decision came as to what I was gonna do next. And so it wasn't an easy one. Yeah, so what, what sort of motivated you at that point to navigate into the civilian world? My direct chain of command at the Naval Academy, he was an 04, I was an 04, and I had three-year orders, and I'd broken out as an EP in my commands there, and I was like, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to stay here and do this? And it, let me tell you, it's one of the best jobs in the Navy, working at the Naval Academy, surrounded by some of the most amazing leaders you've ever met, and I got to teach midshipmen. I coached wrestling as an assistant voluntary coach there. It was my dream job. But I was kind of at a crossroads, like, what am I going to do next? Am I going to stay in and make this a career? And about that time, they were offering incentive bonuses as well. Like if you stayed in, you got like an extra 15000 and then you did a few more years, an extra fifteen. And so there was that was at that point, that was a lot of money to me. And I was deciding where I wanted to go. And uniquely at the time, I was dating someone who had been in the JAG Corps and she lived in Tampa. And I'd taken the Florida bar. And so she's like, why don't you meet with some people down here in the civil world, see if you like it. And I happened to come into contact with a gentleman by the name of Greg Holder, who was actually an Air Force JAG and is a circuit court judge here in Tampa. And we hit it off. And he's like, you should go interview at this law firm. At that point, it was called Fowler White. 
Boggs and Banker. And I went over there and they actually offered me a job. And I struggled because I liked the Navy. I did not want to get out, but I didn't want to get out. I wanted the opportunity to do some things. And I can tell you this, it was one of the hardest adults decisions I ever made was getting out of the Navy. You couldn't go back is the way I saw it. And I liked what I was doing. And so they offered me some jobs and one in West Palm Beach. I didn't want to go there. And then they offered me a job in their appellate department. I didn't want to do that. And so they flew me down again, interviewed me again. And they said, hey, we got a couple other positions. And they offered me those. I just wasn't sold. And they literally called me again. They're like, look, we want you to meet with a gentleman named Joe Lopez. And we think you'd like to meet with him. And the funny thing is, I was going back and forth in the Naval Academy, and I really didn't want to go and carry a suit with me down for another interview. So I didn't know if I wanted to do that. But, you know, I was going down there anyways. I packed up a suit. I met with Joe. This guy changed me. He said, what's the difference? Why do you want to stay in the Navy? I'm like, I love the camaraderie. I like working out whenever I want to work out. Uh, I like, you know, coming and going. And he's like, look, our firm's different. You can do all that stuff. You come, I'm offering you a job, you come work for me. And everything I'm telling you is going to be true. It's a different place down here. And so I literally physically got sick over that decision. And I just made the decision I'm going to do it. But it was not an easy decision. So it wasn't necessarily you looking as much as someone was offering. Yeah, I mean, there was a feeling out process. I always felt like some parts of the Navy for me personally were I felt like sometimes the harder you worked, you weren't always rewarded for that. It was, you know, surrounded by people who were 7.30 to 4.30. Not all the people, don't get me wrong, but there was a, a group of people that were, that was, they were comfortable with that. And I always wanted more. I was more aggressive. I wanted more and I wanted to be compensated the harder I worked. And so that was one of the decisions I had to wrestle with is, you know, the financial decision, whether it was beneficial for me to, to change career paths. And when I made that decision, it, it, it's different, but there's a lot of things I miss about the Navy too. So you punched out, what did you start doing when you got on board the law firm? So in 2005, I started down here and I did civil litigation from the get-go. I started working up cases. The thing about this firm is they let you handle your own cases from the beginning. I was taking depositions, which was new. Civil discovery is a lot different than criminal work. You actually take a lot of depositions. The discovery process is a whole different ball game where you're sending out what are called interrogatories or questions for people to answer, requests to produce for them to look at, digesting that, setting up depositions. Your scale and the time to get from A to Z was different, uh, different trial. Like you get in some cases take two, four years to get to trial. And I know in the criminal with your speedy trial clock, things go faster. But within eight months, they'd handed me a bunch of cases and one of them just couldn't get resolved. And I tried a case here pretty soon right after I got out. A big personal injury case, plaintiffs asked for three to $4 million and I got a defense verdict. And then everything started to click and started to get some of my own clients and just build that practice up. But it's a lot of it's also just surrounded by the great partners I've had at this firm who've given me opportunities and work. And they're very pro-military here. My department head's actually an Air Force, former Air Force JAG as well. Great segue into the question that came to my mind is obviously you had prosecution and criminal defense work under your belt in the service, but the mentorship, did you have mentorship as you came on board and were given these cases or was it sort of you were figuring it out or did you have a pretty good handle on it from the get go? 
I would be lying if I said I had it figured out. The learning curve was through the roof for me to learn. The one thing that was really different was dictation, which is a weird thing, is dictating your time and keeping time for everything you do. Right now, I'd be billing you a 0.3 for this for conference <laughs> tomorrow. You know, it was just a lot different. Uh, billing your time and you know, addressing the courts and learning the civil system and all the civil procedure is just a, a lot different. But the one thing the Navy did prepare you for, structure, organization, keeping on top of things. I remember for the first six months, I got to the firm at 7.30 in the morning, ready to go, and there's no one here. No one was opening the doors. Like our, our clocks are different. So that work ethic carried over really well for me. And it was a, a different a different feeling here, but the, the values that I've got from the military, the work ethic, one thing also is having a secretary. I had no idea how to use a secretary. So my secretary came to me the first day, she's like, hi, I'm your secretary. And I had no idea, like, okay, what do you do? And I remember there were times in the Nilso and in, in, in Naples where I had to make all of my binders for the jury myself, Xeroxing copies for all the exhibits. I'm, I was there till like two in the morning. You have paralegals that do that. We have professional services. So your life is easier so that you can focus on your goal. And that is to defend your cases. So that was a nice change to have all that support, which is a little different from the military, but at the learning curve, it's different. But also from the military is you learn how to talk on your feet, be quick on your feet, learn things really quickly and adapt. And that translated very well to being a civil litigation practice. Now, over the 28 years that I've been in, we've seen a continual decrease in the number of military justice cases and people far smarter than me can debate the reasons why. But what was your caseload like when you were on active duty? Was it pretty respectable? Did you have constant cases or was it was it already slacking yeah. off by then? No, because I was in the NELSO or the I was in the TSO from about 98 to 2001. And then when I went over to your, uh, Naples, we had a big caseload because we covered all of Europe and Southeast Asia. So we traveled all over the place. I went to Germany. I went to Greece. We went to um, Spain. Wherever there was a defense, we covered all that area. So we were busy all the time. We had a lot of cases. We had a lot of trials, a lot of admin boards. And we went to Signal all the time, too, and because there was the TSO there. So we would jump down there to defend some of the cases. We were very busy, very active practice, lots of cases, lots of trials. Obviously, uh, it looks like you've made the right decision as far as a hard decision, but you apparently have grown into it. You're at this, the same or successor firm 16 years, almost 17 years later now. Can you believe that amount of time has, has gone by? It is flashes by like you can't even believe. I felt like I was in the military just a few years ago, and I can't believe the look down has been 17 years. I've been very successful based on my partners making me successful here. We have a great camaraderie, great teamwork. I started off as one associate. I now have about three of my own associates, and I have four paralegals. I have two secretaries. I have another partner that works with me that has two of his own, three of his own associates and four paralegals. So we've grown like a small firm within the firm. And then just this past year, I was elected to be on our firm board of directors. I think I'm the youngest person who's ever been on the board of directors at the firm. And so it's a great honor, but I think a lot of it I attribute it back to the military, just the, 
the the schedule, the organization, the just being on top of things, being able to multitask. I, I relate that and I give so much respect to all the training that I had while I was on active duty. Have you had other JAGs join your firms or former shipmates reach out to you as they made their transition? I've had people call me uh, just to talk a lot about what the distinction was. I feel like a lot of my contemporaries have stayed in the government realm. It is a big switch going from the government to the civilian world. There's a lot of fear and trepidation of the unknown of what you're going to get yourself into. And it's hard. And that's what I wrestled with is how do I make this change? Like, am I, what am I giving up? There's no turning back and to push through that fear and just realize, look, you only get one chance. And so let's make the most of it. And if it doesn't work out, you'll still be okay. And so that's a, the mind frame you got to push through is a fear of leaving behind instead of focusing on well, what are the risks and what are the rewards if I move forward in the civilian world. Yeah. And I think that is something that regardless of when you leave the service, whether it's after seven years like yourself or someone that has stayed in for 25, 30 years, there is that fear and fighting through that fear of adapting to your practice or what you do to the outside, of being able to take all those things that you've done, the the vocabulary that you had, and really try to overlay that on a civilian world. And And I know that I've struggled with it, just looking at jobs on the corporate side of what am I most capable of doing? And unlike you, you know, I had a very short litigation career in the Navy and that was my choice. That is why these podcasts I think are creating a buzz is because people like you have fought through that and have been successful on the outside. So how is it practicing law in Tampa, Florida? It's interesting. I feel that whenever the world hits a crisis, our practice grows. On the housing recession time, personal injury grows. The COVID time, personal injury grows. And I'll explain why. People, when they lose you know, their ability to make money, lose their health insurance. And when you don't have health insurance, how are you gonna get your medical bills paid? So people that might not have sued before, now find themselves no way to paying other than filing a lawsuit. And you hear people say, I'm not the kind of person that sues, but I just don't have the ability to pay these things. So practice in Tampa has been booming with the amount of work that we have. It's just, I'm trying to hire more people now. So if anyone's there and you need to take a civilian job, let me know, because I'm looking for more associates. Our firm keeps growing. We have about 140 attorneys at our firm now. Uh, we're Florida-only firm, too. We're not a nationwide firm. So it, it personal injury, which is what I do, defense, products liability, workers' comp, all those industries are, are blooming and looking for jobs and looking for people out there to come join us. And, it, you know, it's a profitable business, and there's a lot of money to be made uh, on being a civilian attorney, but there's a stress level that you just have to be able to handle. And that's another thing the military does is, it puts you under a lot of stress and a lot of strain. And as a civilian practitioner, I mean, it's a grind. It's not always easy. You've got people wanting money. You've got, I deal with people who've lost their loved ones and I'm defending people that have killed their loved ones, people that have been dismembered, people that have lost their children. And you've got to be able to compartmentalize that and defend the cases based on the actual law and the, on the negligence or lack of negligence of your client and put those feelings aside. So you've got to be able to compartmentalize your own personal beliefs sometimes. I'll give you one example. 
And this is a tragic example. Uh, one of my clients, it's terrible. I mean, they're, it's tough to digest sometimes, but one of their, uh, they had a daycare and they forgot a kid in the back of the van and the kid died in the van from overheating. And so we're hired to defend that, that individual. And one of my partners said, I can't do this case. It's too close to me, it's too personal. And so you've got to work through there and figure out how you can handle all these different stressors because it's an emotional job at times, but putting that behind. But when you compare that to the military, it's the same thing. When we're doing criminal prosecution or criminal defense, you're dealing with people's lives. So you learn to balance the interests and your personal feelings. I remember doing defense uh, or prosecution. Some people said I'd never do a death penalty case. I didn't have that problem because I, I didn't, I won't say the problem. I didn't have that viewpoint. Uh, I would handle any cases. And I feel like I can, that helped me be able to translate that over to be able to handle any problem or any situation that arises from my clients doing defense work. You mentioned earlier that you, when you first got out, you were showing up on Navy time and uh, no one was there and probably putting in the same amount of hours. Take us through your typical week now. What does it look like here 17 years later for Adam Cantor? Well, I'll tell you one thing I like about COVID is what we're doing right now, or the change in COVID is Zoom has changed my practice. I used to be on the road a lot. I'd go to Orlando to take depositions. I'd go to all these nearby cities, to Fort Myers. I'd have to fly to Fort Lauderdale to have our hearings. That's been erased with Zoom and, and what we use a lot of teams. It's made my life a lot easier. But our day-to-day -day is you get in and you're expected to do one thing and you're like, okay, today I'm gonna prepare for this deposition. And then you get a phone call. Hey, I got a new case coming in. I need you to go here. Okay, let me try to handle that. And then you get another phone call. Hey, our truck driver just flipped over. There's a dead guy. We don't know what's happening. We need you to send out your team of accident reconstructionists right here. You're like, okay, you start to do that. And then your paralegals come in and they're like, hey, we're having problems with this. So you have to be able to handle five things at one time and be able to digest it. And as I said before, this little dictaphone is capture your time. Everything you do has got to be recorded. We bill in 0.1 increments. So like if every six minutes is a 0.1. And so that's how you bill your time. So your day is filled with answering phone calls, talking to clients, visiting scenes of the accident, visiting scenes of or visiting your clients' uh, witnesses. It's just, it never is the same. I can't dictate or tell you what a day is going to be, but you got to be on your toes and you got to be able to handle a lot of different things. It's a busy practice. How many days a week are you in the office? You work weekends or is it dependent upon uh, what you have on the plate? You know, if I have a trial coming up, I'm working seven days a week. Uh, if I don't have a trial, I try to at least take one day off on the weekend. I like to take a Sunday just to make sure all my emails are caught up. I'll spend a couple hours just making sure Monday I have a clean, uh, fresh slate to start the week. But as I've gotten older, I've better been doing, done a better job with time management so I can delegate. I have associates now. I have them do a lot of things I used to do and to really just focus more on the, the trial-oriented tasks. But it's busy. But I like it. Who doesn't like to be busy? Who likes yeah. to be idle? If you do, you're not you're not in this business because that's not going to happen. You're always on your feet. You touched on it earlier about when you were at doing courts martial, how you were building your own binders. Did you find yourself having a, a problem delegating when you first started getting associates and secretaries working for you? Or did you find that it was just a matter of necessity 
with the amount of work that was coming in the front door or coming through the computers? Well, again, one of the things that you learned, and I learned a lot about at the Naval Academy, specifically when working there, is putting yourself in a leadership position from a younger age. I mean, at the Naval Academy, these midshipmen become off from being college kids to effectively being ensigns in charge of people that have been in the service for 20 years. So understanding that, I always respected the chain of command in my job, even as a civilian. So to me, it was clear to find roles. When I got out here, I didn't know how to use a secretary or another, I guess it's politically incorrect now, legal assistant is what they're called. It was secretary when I first started, but I didn't really know how to use my legal assistant, but I understood that she was in my, she was under me in the chain of command. So it was just a matter of utilizing them in the best capacity, but never from a leadership position did I ever feel like, oh, you know, I don't know how to handle this position because they've been here longer. And that's another thing the Navy taught for me is just respecting your chain of command, understanding what positions are. And that was invaluable to me as I trans transferred out from the Navy into the civilian world. If you hadn't punched out, what do you think you would have wanted to do in the Navy? You know, when I was at the Naval Academy, I know that there was a job. I wanted an operational billet. There was a TAD billet with the Navy SEAL team. I wanted that. And they said no. And then the USS Kennedy was being decommissioned at the time. I wanted to go on the ship. They said no. Then there was a job over in Bahrain that was opening. And I wanted to go there. And they said no. And so I started to get frustrated feeling like, hey, you know, I feel like I'm good at my job. Why am I being held back from doing that? But that didn't really answer your question. To answer your question would have been operational. Uh, I would like to have been attached to a SEAL team. I'd like to have been attached or go on a sh some carriers. I'd like to be out there doing things with the men and women that serve in the Navy. That was exciting to me. I really hadn't had that opportunity yet. Well, sir, I don't want to be billed for any more time than I need to be, but this was very informative. And I appreciate you taking the time to talk about your progression and how you ended up there. I always give you uh, the guests, the closing arguments, if you have any, or final points that you want to make that I didn't ask and I didn't prompt you to do. Yeah, I just tell everyone, look, when you're out there making these life decisions, always make yourself your number one priority. You know, you look at other people and what their expectations of are you, but always your family and yourself should come number one. And when you make those decisions, be able to take risks. Life will afford you the opportunities when you take risks. I tell the people that work for me, from chaos comes opportunity, meaning that whenever things seem like they're going crazy, there's opportunity out there. So believe in yourself. You have the training necessary to accomplish any goal, any job you want. And the military, to me, is the best education I could have ever asked for. So just believe that you can get the job done and you'll be able to work through it. There's going to be tough times, but you'll be able to get through it and exceed and excel and do amazing in whatever path you choose. So a Boston boy, at least for education-wise, who spent time in San Diego, Europe, and Annapolis, ends up in Florida. Incredible journey. Hey, Adam, thanks for your time, and I appreciate everything that you've passed on. As always, I always take a couple things away from these conversations, and yours is no different. It's been my pleasure, and anyone who uh, has any question. Uh, feel free to hit me up. I'm happy to answer. I'm always happy to hear from any old shipmates out there. And so um, no problem. And my time's your time. I'm happy to hear from you. 
Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. After the Jag Corps is a TJW 50 Associates LLC production.